everybody, whether you're the president of a company or the paperboy, everybody has the exact same amount of time. You and I both have 24 hours a day. No more, no less. The question is, what do you do with your time? Real quick, my friends, go get my new book. It's called The Power to Publish. And it's at the top of the page of zbooks.co at the link, my new book. And it's going to help you with all of your self-publishing needs. Okay, back to that podcast. Welcome to ZBooks Successful Authors Podcast. And today I have with me a real American hero. He's a direct descendant of the Pilgrims of the Mayflower. He's a sheriff in Arizona, and he's got a kids program with 100% success rate. Welcome to the show, Sheriff Mark Lamb. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. Glad to be on. Yeah, I, I was watching your interview with Oliver North. I said, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was one of the highlights. I, you know, you do a lot of podcasts and stuff, but mm -hmm. that was one that meant a lot to me because, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. And so Oliver North, we all knew about him. So it was an mm -hmm. honor to be interviewed by him. Yeah, what, what uh, year are you? I'm 1967. 72. Ooh, I'm a little older than yeah. you. Hey, you got this... me. Well, you look better than me. My face is starting to look like an old catcher's mitt. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a nice image. Tell us about the patches on your roof and uh, you got a bulletproof vest on. Is the car yeah. armored? It isn't armored, but this is my work car. Um, I try to get out about 10 hours a week at least. I try to be out with the deputies as much as possible. I mean, sometimes this last year has been difficult with COVID and, and campaigning for my second term, all that stuff. But uh, I, I like to get out and do the job still. And I feel like you got to lead by example. And then the patches are just a lot of different people and companies that, that mean something in my life and that I, that I respect and uh, support. And uh, I just think it's a cool way, cool thing to do with the patches. So yeah, it looks good. Looks good. And um, we got a lot to talk about. So, but first things first. Tell us about your new book. I heard it was like number one in eight different categories. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we. You know, I'm one of those guys who just like to punch things off the list. And I believe that everybody has a book in them. Um, some only one, but some people more. But I think that everybody has a book. They all have stories to tell and things they've learned in life. And that's kind of what I did. I wanted to put a book together that would give people that watch Live PD, 60 Days In, and some of these other things that I've been fortunate enough to be on, give them a little bit more background on what I, who I am as a person, what I, you know, my background is, and then uh, what are some of the values that have defined me as a person. And so that's why I called the book American Sheriff, Traditional Values in a Modern World. And I just talk about, I think, some of the things that are important and that we need, really need to kind of get back to in this country to, to right the ship, per se. Um, so that's what the book is. And uh, it's, it, you know, it's been fun kind of going through this. My wife wrote a book as well called The Sheriff's Wife, Holding It All Together Behind the Scenes in Politics. And this has been cool for us because together we've been going out and doing book signings and uh, it's been fun. Yeah. And your book starts off really right in the middle of the action. You were in Panama as a teenager and they kidnapped some people in your building. What, what happened there? 
Oh, it was crazy. I was down there for Christmas vacation because my family moved to Panama when I was in high school. And uh, tensions were rising in Panama. Things were getting a little bit uh, hairy. And uh, there was some altercations with the military. And we were. it was a few days before Christmas. And about 1 o'clock in the morning, my, my mom wakes me up and says, hey, they're bombing. And sure enough, I went out and everywhere you could see all 360 degrees was machine gun fire, tracer rounds bouncing off of buildings. Uh, it was crazy. The U.S. And, was getting uh, Noriega? Who was bombing? Yeah. So the U.S. was trying to get Noriega and they were fighting the Dignity Battalion, which was Noriega's people and the army. And uh, we lost a few Navy SEALs in that all, that skirmish and or that battle. Um, but yeah, it was interesting because... You know, now there's no police force because in Panama, the military is the police force as well. And the Americans are too busy fighting them. So we didn't have anybody show up to our building for like four or five days. Well, the first night, as you mentioned, they came in, they were taking Americans. And there was Americans on like the, the, the third floor, the fourth floor, and then the 10th floor. And uh, we were the 10th floor. And... They got to the fourth floor and the power went out and they had already kidnapped one American who unfortunately was found a few days later, shot and thrown in the ditch. Um, so we, we lucked out. Man. Yeah. If you were one floor lower. We'd have been in trouble or if the power uh, wouldn't have gone out. Ugh. There was also a part where you were guarding something with your guns yeah. and you were standing so, watch. Because the Americans didn't show up for like four or five days we had looters going around and breaking into buildings and stealing and hurting people. Plus the dignity battalion hangovers were out assaulting people and uh, kidnapping people. And so because somebody had gotten kidnapped from our building, we and uh, several other residents in that, the, the high rise, they all got together, they got their guns out and uh, we had to stand guard at our own building. How so old I were spent you? Three or four, I was 17. They handed Trial me a by gun fire. and, uh, yeah. They said, Hey, if those guys come shoot them. And, uh, there was a couple of times it came over the radio, they were coming and luckily they didn't, but boy, I'll tell you, it'll make your heart pound. That's for sure. And your, your blood go. But, uh, yeah. it was, a, it was quite the experience. And like you see in the book, what it did is one of those experiences that really helped define my love for this country and freedom and the stability and the, and, 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 even though we've got, we're struggling right now with political upheaval and a lot of, you know, just a lot of different things, we still can walk out in our streets and down a street and do that without fear of, of being hurt or shot or killed unless you live in yeah. a bad neighborhood. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty crazy. Um, uh, so yeah, you, you were only 17 and already a pretty tough situation. So um, the good thing is, was I've always been a, I've always loved guns. I'm a yeah. huge supporter of the second amendment. I love yeah. guns. And so the one gun they gave me was a 30, 30. And that was yeah. my first gun I bought for myself uh, when I was 14. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, at least I had a gun I was familiar with. I may have only gotten one shot off, uh, but at least I was going to get one shot off. Yeah. I love the Winchester 30, 30. I had one too, but um uh, I live in Germany now, so uh, all my guns are in America. That's a different story. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, you've been through a lot. I mean, we could talk about Panama for a long time, but then 
that um were you was your dad in the army why did you guys move so much no my dad was a graduate of thunderbird business college which is an international business school out here in arizona and he was uh he loved other countries he loved panama because panama used the american dollar and panama had for a long time had amazing uh, corporate corporation laws um so he loved all that he loved international business so we lived in I was born and raised in Hawaii. We lived in the Philippines, Panama, um, you know, and then I was a missionary for my church in Argentina. So up till I was 21, I spent the majority of my time outside of the continental United States. Yeah, that's really eye-opening, isn't it? That's the point in your book, yeah. of course. Okay, one more funny thing. How do you get away from a wild boar in Hawaii? Oh, man, they would chase us through the jungle all the time. You run. They're dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, they're very dangerous, you know, and they can get very big. Um, yeah. We were little kids. You know, nowadays, parents, they don't let their kids do anything. Our moms would let us go for all day. As long as we showed back up when the sun went, went down, nobody really worried. And, you know, we had jungle right down the street from our house. We'd cool. go swim in lava tubes and, <laughs> and occasionally get chased by these wild boars through the jungle. But uh, luckily, awesome. they never caught us. Yeah. Well, you know, a guy, uh, a hunter here in Germany just died last year. Uh, big, big mistake. He followed a wild boar into a cornfield and Ooh. the boar cut him behind the knee with his tusk, hit an artery and bled out in the cornfield. Mm -hmm. So oh, yeah. you were doing some serious stuff back there in Hawaii. Well, you know, ignorance is bliss. We didn't know that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that hunter probably didn't think so either. And anyway, yeah, so uh, crazy stuff. Yeah, so uh, I, like you, have seen a lot of the world and have a much different uh, point of view. And uh, uh, from Hawaii, you went to the Philippines. Which island? We went to Manila. Oh, so okay. we lived in Manila for... Uh, a year and then the you know the business venture my dad had didn't really work out we came back to arizona he was from a little town called chandler and mm -hmm. i came back and went to junior high and high school there and uh it was good for us though because you know we had already had a real understanding the philippines we saw poverty on a whole different level mm -hmm. you know there's we think we understand poverty here but like a poor person here still has a house and internet and cell phones cell phones and, yeah DVD. Right, Wide it's not like TVs. that there. <laughs> in pa you know, in the Philippines, people living at the dumps, cardboard boxes on the side of the road, mm. and we just gained a real appreciation for what this country is and the ability to to make make your own life here in this country. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And um, talking about poverty and stuff, uh, yeah, you you saw people sleeping in cardboard boxes, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was quite the sight, you know, and I was a little blonde haired blue eyed boy out there and, uh, and everybody liked to touch your head because they don't typically see little blonde hair. You know, we weren't wealthy at the time and uh, we just had to take the jeepneys and, and live like all the other Filipinos. And so it was a great experience yeah. for us. I believe it. I believe it. My father's wife is Filipino. So my mother-in-law, she, no, step she calls herself the evil stepmom, you know, <laughs> she's, a, she's really cool. She's really cool. I love her to death. And, uh, but he goes there almost every year and yeah, yeah we're big Philippines fans. So I, I saw that in your book and had to know. And then, and okay. Such good people, so yeah. 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 Such yeah. Good. Yeah. I, I love them. I'm, I'm a big fan. I haven't been there yet. I have to go there. Oh, okay. Beautiful. Let's fast forward a little bit and then 
so you came back to America and then um, you were a policeman first or a sheriff. What made you join the force? I, you know what? I had never had a desire to be a police officer. I did want to join the military, but when I came home from my mission, it was like 1993. There wasn't really anything going on. And we lived in Panama and all those guys were military. So we would play softball with them and sports. And, and I would ask them, I'm like, Hey man, I'm thinking about joining the military. And they're like, ah, you know, there's nothing going on. And so then I got into owning my own businesses. And before you knew it, I was married with five kids. Um, I looked at going into the military again, but financially I couldn't make it work. And so I kind of just kind of let that go. Um, and I just had my own businesses and I was, uh, my neighbor was a police officer on an Indian reservation. He says, Hey man, do you want to go on a ride along? I was like, eh, you know what? Sure. I'd never thought of being a cop. I went on the ride along and I remember during that shift, we were, got called to a house where there was a kid that was like 18 with a 14 year old girl and the dad caught him and they got into a little fist fight and then the kid ran out. And so we were looking for him out in like the desert and on the reservation, sometimes you'll have these little burnout trailers and abandoned trailers. Well, we see this abandoned trailer and I'm armed with courage and a flashlight and I get out there and I, I'm looking in the window and I see what I think is like maybe a quarter size of skin showing. And so I call the guys over. I'm like, Hey man, I think he's right here. So they come over and sure enough, boom, they drag him out of there. And I went home that morning. I told my wife, I'm going to be a cop. I said that I had a great time. And sure enough, I put in my application and I think within six months I was hired and at the Academy from that point. Nice. Nice. And then, oh, it was uh, awesome. And then uh, you went to the SWAT team and then you said, oh, I want to be sheriff or how, tell, take us through that. <laughs> That's evolution. about what it was. You yeah. know, I spent a lot of my career on the gang and drug or the gang and drug team. So I dealt and uh, the reservation where we were on had a real big gang problem. Hmm. And so I wanted to be involved in, in just getting after the real bad guys. And so I did that for a long time, got on SWAT, was a SWAT operator and, uh, you know, one of the things that I saw in law enforcement was kind of a lack of real leadership. There were supervisors, there was people that would tell you what to do, but I just didn't see a lot of real leaders. And so I told my wife, I said, you know what, I want to do more. And this was honest, this was during the Obama era as, era as well. And um, I respect all presidents because I love our country, but I wasn't a fan of the policies and I didn't like the direction the country was going. And so I decided to be part of the solution and not the problem. And I thought, how can I get involved politically, but still do what I love? And so I thought I'll run for sheriff and I could foresee on the future, the sheriff of Pinal County before me, I thought that he would run for Congress. So I made a gamble. Um, I, and uh, I, I came to Pinal County for a few years. I got to know some of the guys kind of got to get a feel for the agency. And then I left, started my own business and uh, came back and ran for sheriff. And fortunately I played my cards right. Cause the, my predecessor did run for Congress, hmm. which left the seat open. And I ran against uh, his chief deputy. And fortunately I won. So that's how I got into it. Honestly, it's because I just love this country. I'm a patriot. I always want to do what I can to protect our communities and, protect the American way of life, the constitution, our freedoms. And, and that's why I got into it. Awesome. Awesome. So for, 
some others of us out there, um, I'm kind of confused sometimes. And why is a sheriff political? And can you, what's the difference? You know, you have federal marshals, you have state troopers, then you, you have the police force and uh, uh, SWAT and all that. How long were you on the force? And then um, before you went so to I the was at the reservation. I was yeah. at the reservation for about seven years. Yeah. Then I came out here for a couple of years. I had about 10 years in law enforcement, believe it or not, ah. when I ran for sheriff. Mm -hmm. um, some people, you know, knocked me for not having enough experience. But, you know, leadership isn't defined by bars or stripes on your arms. Yeah. Leadership is something you have or you don't or, or you're good at or you've learned, you know, I've led in many different facets of mm. my life. And so I felt like I was qualified for it. Mm. And the good thing about it is, is I was, I had been doing the job. So I was very up to speed. A lot of leadership, people that have been in leadership for a long time, they, they haven't been on the road. They haven't done the job in a long time. And so they lose touch with it. And yeah. I felt like I brought a very fresh perspective mm. of what the job was and what it took and how I could help the guys enjoy where they worked and, uh, mm -hmm. and what they did. What are the um, political aspects of being a sheriff? For example, was that in California, the sheriff came out and said, we're not going to enforce Governor Newsom's new uh, Corona, whatever. Uh, I was, I was one of the first ones I did it here in the, in Arizona back in like April mm -hmm. uh, because they kept moving the goalpost. Mm -hmm. And so then they started talking about arresting business owners if they open their business. And I publicly came out and said, no, we're not doing that. You know, it's been great to see so many other sheriffs also do it across the country over the last six months. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen more and more of that. The beauty of being the sheriff is you asked a, a question before a police chief is, is um, they are selected by the, the, the city council or the, or, uh, well, pr predominantly by city councilors or by the mayor. Mm -hmm. um, same with like uh, highway patrol. Usually the, the leader of highway patrol is, is appointed by the governor. Um, so those are very political positions in the sense that they don't go out and politicize. They don't run for office. But if they don't do what those city council or those mayors want, they're out. You know, they can be fired. And so I don't feel like they they're in a position to 100% protect the people like a sheriff can. The sheriff is elected by the people. It's constitutional. Um, and I don't have a boss. People ask me all the time, That's well, who's your boss? And I'm like, I don't have one. Awesome. My boss is the people. So as long as the people vote me in, um, that's like your boss saying you're doing a good job. So and the governor not, can't fire you if you disobey no. him. Oh, yeah. The governor can't fire me or tell me the president can't fire me or tell me what to do. That is That's the cool. people and the people alone. And so I tell people all the time, I'm not the government. I'm the sheriff. My job is to protect the people from bad guys and from government overreach. And so this year we've seen a lot of that. And uh, it's, mm. it's challenged a lot of our sheriffs to come out and be vocal and say, no, we're not going to usurp the people's rights just because you deem that you think that it needs to happen. And so it's not that we're downplaying anything that's happened this year. It's just that we have a, a responsibility. I took an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, not some mandate that some politician put out. Yeah, my, this is, my oath is to the Constitution. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? I think the corona uh, virus has brought out the worst in all of the Western governments. And uh, 
it's really getting to the point where you have to say, it's crazy. So I was talking to some French friends yesterday. They have to be indoors by 6 p.m. And here in Germany, they're talking about 9 p.m. As a matter of fact, I think today, as of today, you have to be indoors by 9 p.m. So why not 9.27 p.m.? You know, and aren't they overstepping yeah. their boundaries now? I mean, I mean, you know? COVID, COVID doesn't sleep during the day. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's yeah. still out there. The only time we had a curfew, and, and I did support the curfew when we were having the riots and the looting here in the United mm -hmm. States. And it started off a little bit in Phoenix and Phoenix needed to get control of it. And so they asked for a curfew mm -hmm. so that anybody out past, let's say, 10 o'clock. Now, I had a lot of people concerned saying, because I don't like curfews. I don't think the government should restrict people. But this one had a purpose. And I told people, it's not for the regular citizens going to and from work or doing any of that. This is for those who are downtown and large groups of people um, doing destruction to your city. It allowed Phoenix PD to get on top of the problem and, uh, and really keep us from being like some of the other major cities we saw all year where they literally just destroyed those cities. So yeah. that was the only Peaceful time. And, and you know what? Right. And the <laughs> governor, he was great. He kept it on for like a week or two, just enough for Phoenix PD and our state troopers to get on top of the problem. And then that was it. And we were back to, you know, the freedoms we enjoy. So, yeah, you got Corona, right? How was that? I did get Corona. And so Corona had kind of disappeared from the news hmm. and we were dealing with the riots and the looting for about three weeks. Well, the president was going to sign an executive order and they invited me to Washington, D.C. So on a, let's just say sat, the Saturday before I got invited, I had an event where it was an outdoor event where I had people come and pick up yard signs for my political campaign. But I probably had about five or 600 people out there. We had plenty of space for social distancing. We asked them to try to follow CDC guidelines. Well, two days later, I go to Washington, D.C. for this event, and I go into the White House, and they test you for COVID. Well, hmm. eight, eight minutes after I, test, or I tested, they called me, and they said, hey, Sheriff, we need you to come back down to the infirmary. You tested positive for, for coronavirus. And I was like, get out of here. There's no way. And because uh, I really hadn't felt any symptoms. I didn't have a fever. Um, I felt a little run down, and I thought that was just for my event. Um, well, they brought me in, they tested me again, the one that goes clear back to your brain. And uh, 45 minutes later, they came back and they said, hey, yeah, you're, you're COVID. And I joke and I say, after that, they took me out the back door like a two-bit whore. But uh, <laughs> it was, they were very kind and gracious about it. But here was the problem. I had stood against our governor. So I was like the poster boy for being a rabble rouser, you know, somebody who wasn't, who didn't believe in it. And then the president three days or four days later was supposed to be in Oklahoma for his first rally post COVID. So it, the, I, I got caught in the perfect storm and mm. I talk about it in the book and man, they were relentless. I was getting media all over i was on yahoo news i was on the yahoo news in australia i mean every country france uh people knew about it everywhere that i got covid and they acted like i was patient zero you know <laughs> like i all these people fact of the matter is not a single person that i attended my event that had 
um, that had come tested positive for COVID. None of my family did. It was just me. Um, I didn't get that sick. I just felt run down. I had a little bit of a cough. I mean, I was definitely, my body was fighting something, but I was one of the fortunate ones and uh, did not get that sick. But yeah, I got it. And boy, did I catch some hate all across yeah. the world. I actually shut down Messenger on my Facebook just because of the, the amount of negative messages I was getting. So how long did it take you to recover? And did you have to go to the hospital? So funny story is I did have to go to the hospital. And I can't remember if I put this in the book. But um, I, was, I was fine. And I was recovering probably five, six days. I was starting to feel better. I would go out and walk in the backyard. I'm still just a little bit tired. But about 10 days into it, I was walking in the backyard. And uh, my neighbor's dog was out there. And I ran, I, he ran up to the fence where I was walking. And I put my hand up against the fence. And there's like these bars about this far apart. And I just put my hand up. And he shot through the fence and bit my hand and cut my finger down to the oh. bone. What kind of dog? Long cut. Uh, chocolate lab. <laughs> they and don't bite. He, well, he bit me. <laughs> and so I did have to go to the hospital, not for COVID, but I had to go to the hospital because I got a dog bite and had to get a couple stitches and all that. What about I told the dog? That, uh, you know, my neighbor's a great neighbor. The dog's a good dog. And I didn't, I didn't pursue anything on it. Um, Does he have to get tested I, for COVID? <laughs> uh, we kind of <laughs> wanted the same thing. I just told him to watch the watch their dog, see if he got sick. But yeah, that dog, he got me good. So I did have to go to the hospital while I had COVID, but not for COVID. A Labrador. I don't believe it. <laughs> <sighs> okay. You know, when I heard about these gangs of Arizona, wait a minute, Arizona's this wholesome country. What, what, tell me about the gangs there. I didn't know there were gangs. I mean, I've been in Germany you know, any, for 25 years, so I'm, you know. Anytime you get into a big city, you know, Phoenix has got its gangs and Mesa, Tempe, your bigger cities are always going to have gangs. It's just everywhere you go, that's the case. No matter what country, you know, you have pockets of people in, in your lower income or bad areas. Um, where on the reservation, it was kind of almost like everybody had to, every family had a little different gang they represented. And it wasn't, it was different from most street gangs because they weren't doing it to get gained and make money to sell drugs for the most part. They just did it because they just picked a gang and that's the family was part of that gang. Hmm. But they were very violent. Um, in 2009, when I first took over as one of the gang and drug detectives, I got assigned all the drive-by shootings, which means that when you drive by somebody's house and you shoot a gun out, and these were cases where we had actual casings, spent casings in the roadway. Um, we had 70, I think, six drive-by shootings in 2009. And then so I just, I put together, along with a couple other detectives from Mesa PD and another agency, we put a task force together. And we went after this gang. And uh, within, by the next year, we had reduced it down to 11 drive-by shootings in 2010. In 2011, we had zero drive-by shootings. And in 2012, when I left to come to Pinal, we had zero drive-by shootings. So we were very effective going after them. Um, we so how really do you do just that? Kinda... How, how, do you, how do you curb uh, drive-by shootings? You know, 
I used to say you put your proverbial boot in their throat, but it's not kosher to, or, uh, and you know, I don't mean to make light of that anymore. Unfortunately, some events, I don't say that anymore, but it was a hyperbole for, we just went after them. You know, if Mm -hmm. we pulled up old cases that fell through the cracks, we were constantly on these guys. Um, You know, they were, you weren't allowed to have guns on the reservation unless they were registered. So that gave us some leeway to go after them. And uh, really, we just were very aggressive and putting cases on these guys. And so eventually, we did a federal RICO case, which are very difficult to do. It took us a few years, but we put a RICO case together. And that the top two guys, the case we used to kind of as the, the, the main case in there was there was a mom of another gangster from a different gang showed up to a blood party. And they realized she was there. They went over and drug her out of their car, beat her, um, beat her unconscious, drug her out into the middle of the road and left her for dead for the, the trucks that would come out there every morning, one of the semis to run her over. And that is the case that we used as the primary case. And with the RICO case, you can throw all these other cases, whether they're weak or strong, you can put them all together to show that this is a criminal enterprise and they're doing it to, to get gain or instill fear. And, and we were successful and uh, we, we basically put uh, that, that gang almost out of commission. So awesome. I've heard now years later, there's a couple of what we call peewees, you know, younger kids that have come up and trying to reignite it. But yeah, we really did. We put it on them. What, um, I thought uh, law enforcement wasn't allowed on their reservations. So our law enforcement, um, that's true. Like, for example, I have four reservations in my county that I don't have jurisdiction over. Um, there, they have their own police force. And uh, those, it's a, it's a small reservation, but it's right next to Mesa, Tempe, and Scottsdale. So there's a lot of population around that reservation. And so, and there's a lot of they generate a lot of income with the casino and other business ventures. So they don't have enough of their own community members to, to staff a police force. So they also bring in non-natives. And I was one of those non-natives. Um, there's a lot of non-natives that worked out there. I loved it. I loved working with the people. And uh, I worked with some great uh, officers during my tenure there. Yeah. And um you also have some kind of a kids program with a hundred percent success rate. Tell us about that. We're almost a hundred percent. We've had one that's gotten in trouble and ah. you know, some of them have struggled, but um, I saw a need to protect these youth. I saw these kids getting in trouble and they were usually kind of Mickey mouse things. Uh, some kids kind of going down the drug route and I didn't like to see these kids get put in the system because in Arizona, if you get arrested, even if they expunge your record, when you're 18, the rest is still on your record. And so you have to explain to your employers, what did you get arrested for when you were 16? Uh-huh. And so I saw an opportunity to come out and help these kids and get a crack at them. The other thing I learned is that if you take a child and he gets in trouble with the police for having, let's say, a wax pan, which is like the uh, THC oil or yeah. uh, honey yeah. oil or, or hashish, whatever they used to call it. Um, if you take that kid and he gets in trouble, there's a couple things that's going to happen. He's going to start to view the police in a negative manner. And number two, they get this in their head that they're bad now. They're a bad kid. 
So when somebody presents an opportunity to take another bad, to make another bad decision, they say in their mind, uh, I'm already a bad kid. And so I may as well just do it. Well, I saw an opportunity to break that. And so I started this sheriff's redirection program where we, uh, we take these kids and the deputy can put them in my program. I personally do it. I'd make them go through four class hours. We do. And it's designed to say, you're not a bad kid. You just made a mistake. We're not focused on that. We're focused on what we can do uh, moving forward. And so we just, uh, we do goal setting and planning. We do digital media, social media, sexting, the dangers of that. We talk about drugs and alcohol. And then I do a career night where I bring in um, army recruiters. I bring in uh, people from the community who are businessmen. I bring in people who have been in prison, who are now successful. And I just give these kids a real look at life. And I try to expand their horizons and make it, challenge them to be better. And uh, we also do eight hours of community service. And we do that at uh, horse therapy. So they go out and shovel some crap and then they get to deal with the horses. So it is. <laughs> That's cool. But you mentioned yeah. we have had tremendous success. I've had uh, probably about 90 kids graduate. Um, some of them have struggled after, but they haven't gotten in trouble with the law. And, and they're always welcome to come back to my class because my class is not just for kids that get in trouble. It's a mentorship piece for kids who are going down that wrong path. We can hopefully stop them from getting in trouble. And the, the last thing that it does, and I'll just say it with this, is it, it, instead of creating hard feelings between law enforcement, now they see me as a friend. They see me as somebody who truly cares about them. I have earned their trust. I've taken time out of my busy schedule to show up and talk to them and show genuine interest in them. And now they view law enforcement in a different light. They see that we are not the enemy and that we're just regular people and we want the best for them. And so it's been a great program. I'm extremely proud of it and um, looking forward to, I'm hoping that other agencies will, will gravitate to it. Yeah, it's great. I mean, that is like when you're helping the youth, it, it's the success compounds, you know, and uh, yeah. it's awesome. Uh, can't uh, praise you enough, but tell us about Thank the you. goal setting part. That sounds interesting too. Kids have to have, everybody has to have goals, right? You guys have special yeah. methods or tell us about that. So we don't really have special methods, believe it or not. I'll bring in different people to talk about it. So they get different perspectives. But um, like I just had a gal in last week, she's a life coach. Mm -hmm. And uh, she came in and talked about goal setting and planning. And really what we're trying to do is say to these kids, you can want more. You can be more in life. You are unique. I tell the kids, and this is, it's hard for them, but I say, I'm going to tell you something real hard and don't take offense. You're not special. You're unique. And let me tell you why that's important. Because when a child thinks they're special and then life doesn't go their way, which we know it's not, life kicks everybody in the face. And then when you, but if you think you're special, then you think there's something wrong with you or the system. And so what we've tried to tell them is, look, you're just unique. You're going to have challenges and that's to make you stronger and better. And it's to help you find what your gifts and talents are. Just like all of us have different fingerprints and different DNA. Every one of us are unique in a way of our talents and our gifts that we have. And so we really try to, to, to get these kids in touch with that. Um, and you know, what's funny about it is we leave them with some homework. We say, here, 
when it's all said and done, we want you to go home, set your goals, long-term, short-term, come back, and I'm going to bring you a reward. I'm going to give you, you know, hot Cheetos or Takis, or that's what they always pick. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, what's funny is, is every single one of them brings them back for such a small reward. And that's the other thing we're teaching these kids is that if you set goals and if you push yourself, there are rewards at the end of that. And so even though it's a small reward, it triggers something in their head like, oh, if I do this, I can get a reward for this. And so if I work hard, I get paid. If I go to school, I can get more education. Uh, if I do this, I, I, this is the reward. So there's a lot to this program and uh, it, it's, it's been great. It sounds like, um, it sounds really great. Uh, I, I would even say my entrepreneur, entrepreneur mind thinking, that is like maybe your future business. Yeah. Well, don't think I haven't thought of that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, I would love to, I would love to, after I'm a sheriff or even currently, I'm going to start doing a little bit of consulting and hopefully I'm not doing it because I think I'm better than anybody, but if I can help somebody else from the things that I've learned and things that I've taken from other sheriffs, to be honest with you, there are programs that, uh, you know, I have a veterans pod in my jail. I took that program from a, a sheriff out of Middlesex County, Massachusetts, Sheriff Katusian great man, great sheriff. And you know, what's crazy. He's a, he's a very diehard Democrat and I'm a, I'm a very strong conservative, but we all come together on trying what we can do to protect our communities and help people who are struggling in life. And uh, we've developed a really strong relationship, friendship and a working relationship to where we share ideas. And, and the goal in the end is where we can all better this country and our communities. That's, that's a great message. It used to be like that until somebody started this identity politics, but uh, I don't want to go down that road. I want to ask yeah. you uh, some simple questions and then some hard questions. Okay. All right, let's do it. We still got some time there. All right. You, I know you got a meeting coming up, but we got at least 15 minutes, I think. Uh, okay. What's your favorite rifle? Uh, the Henry 4440 is my favorite mm -hmm. rifle as far as like rifles, but okay. Um, if you're talking daily use, AR-15. I love the AR-15. I think it's a tremendous platform. Um, I have a Psyonix rifle made out of Tucson. Great company, great people. Uh, and mine is actually fully automatic because it's a law enforcement one, but they, none of us can afford the ammo to shoot out of that now. So. <laughs> yeah, that gets expensive fast. But, you know, 223 yeah. is, it's cheaper than 50 cal, you know. It's, it's not like a dollar well, would, shot. Oh, I went to a gun show the other day. They were selling nine millimeter and two, two, three for almost $2 a round, a thousand rounds for almost $2,000. What was it? Golden or something? I'm telling you the ammo was like gold out there at the place. Okay. Next question. What's your favorite yeah. pistol? Oh, Glock. I carry a Glock 34 with a red dot, you know, uh, Trijicon optics on it. Mm -hmm. I love Glock because it's point and shoot. And Glock is about the equivalent of the AK-47 as far as durability. It always works. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, uh, you know, it's German. It's a German company or Austrian company. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm a Glock man. Next time, if you go to California, my brother is a range master for the Glock competitions. He'll set you up. Oh, I'd let, love let that. Know. Okay, yeah. let me know. 
Okay, but I thought the Winchester 3030 was your favorite rifle. I love the Winchester 3030, but um, I always wanted a Henry 4440. That's the old cowboy gun. They had pistols and rifles that both had the 4440 caliber uh, round. And so when I won my election four years ago, my wife surprised me with a beautiful engraved Henry 4440. And you'll see that sitting behind me in pictures of me at my desk. That's the rifle that's behind me. Um, and it's, it's my, I love that rifle, but 3030 is, is right behind it. Nice. I'm going to have to look that up. What, what's it called? The Henry 44? Henry is the brand uh -huh. and the caliber is a 4440. The big one. 44 huh? hyphen 40. Okay. You know, it's like a, it's like a 45 long Colt. Okay. I'll have to check that out. It sounds like a classic antique style gun. Yeah. It's great. It's a beautiful gun. <laughs> I'll have, okay, now a serious question. This is tough because it, you know Scott Adams? Is he a sh sheriff? Um, one of my favorite authors is Scott Adams, the guy that wrote Dil or writes Dilbert, the comic. And, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he says the number one problem today is the, the fake news and the media. And I tend to agree. So the question is, how do we survive in this age of disinformation? That is a great question. And, you're, and Scott is absolutely right. I think the media shares the lion's share of the blame for what's going on in this country. They have misinformed the people for gain. They've politicized news and journalism. There's still good journalists out there, but for the most part, the mainstream media has an agenda and the, you know, you've got one side that will tell you their candidates the best and the other side, we're not getting true information anymore, but you know, what's happening is the people are pushing back against that and you're seeing the ratings drops big time. You're going to see those advertising dollars run from those uh, places. And I wouldn't be surprised if their ratings were, were super low over the next six months uh, to a year and they don't have the big bad boogeyman anymore to blame you know <laughs> president trump made a lot of people a lot of money which was funny that they all wanted him out of office because uh, cnn probably would have been dead by now but you know they would have been yeah, off yeah. the air by now if it wasn't for that I, I just heard today that twitter was about ready to go under when president trump came along so there are there are natural consequences to what they're doing and you'll see that the American people will just tune the media out. It's like the boy who cried wolf. Pretty soon you just don't even listen to him. And you're gonna go find truth other places. I hope to be starting a, a subscription site. I'm gonna charge $5 a month. And I'm, I'm gonna focus on God, guns, freedom, and family. And those four things. And I'm gonna have different podcasts, different things that we can talk about every week. Um, it'll be a great, uh, I think it's gonna be a great platform. And uh, it gives people an opportunity to come get uncensored, unfiltered information. So hopefully I'll have that done in the uh, end of January, although I'm running out of time, but more realistically, end of February. That was my next question. What's, what's on the horizon for you? Where is this platform? What's it called? Or is it live? So it's probably going to be called American Sheriff. Right now, you, if you go to americansheriff.com, you'll, you'll be able to buy my book there. Mm -hmm. I sell it on americansheriff.com, but eventually I'm going to put, I'll have t-shirts, I'll have, uh, but we're gonna do monthly gun raffles for the uh, members of, the, of the, sub the subscription site. We're gonna keep it cheap, just enough to cover our costs. And, uh, and we just want a place where people can come and collaborate and also get some good information as to what, uh, what we can do as Americans to, 
to right the ship. Awesome. Awesome. I still got five minutes of your time, right? Oh yeah. You got, I got, I got a good 10 minutes still. All right. Good, 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 good. All right. Excellent. So because I wanted to go circle back to the disinformation thing again, because it's so important. You know, we had all of these great masters, uh, George Orwell, uh, Ayn Rand, Noam Chomsky. He's kind of from the left. He's kind of like the Boston elite type. All of these uh, great literary powerhouses warning us. And I think even Noam Chomsky's book is called Manufacturing Consent. He laid it out. He said, this is what's happening. This is how the media misleads us. This is how they work with the government. This is what they're doing but nobody cares or it's right. just not enough. George Orwell, Noam Ch it's, it's not enough. I mean, it looks like we're losing. I, everybody, not left and right, everybody's losing to the, Ike Eisenhower warned us and it looks like we're losing. Uh, you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, so what you're seeing is, and I don't mean to bring Nazi Germany into this, but it's funny that it's ironic that they would call President Trump a fascist when, they, when the, the people who are against him are actually doing what fascists do, which is to censor and, and to control the media. Um, if you've read Sololinsky's Rules for Radicals, you know, this is something that, is, that came about 30 years ago where they started indoctrinating youth in, in initially colleges and now our high schools and even our elementary schools. They have controlled the propaganda, the, the, the messaging. They, they understood the importance of that. What they've done is they've managed to make 80% of, they've managed to make the American public uh, think that the 20% are the 80%. When in reality, 80% of the people don't believe what they're trying to do. And the other thing I was going to point out is the reason why guys like Orwell and those people, those great authors are not being heard is because they are changing history. They're altering history. They're changing how it's viewed. And if it doesn't meet their, their agenda, they don't push it. And so nobody ever hears about it. Unless you're a, a reader or somebody who has taken the time to study some of these authors, you're just not going to know. So be cautious, everybody, that they don't alter the, the, the history of this country to the point where they make you feel like we've done something wrong. Um, we're not perfect, but this is about as close to perfect of a nation as you can get. It was founded on great principles and uh, the misinformation, the changing of the narrative, the controlling of the narrative and the changing of history is concerning and it should be for everybody. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you were talking about the fascist thing and um, uh, a beloved family member of mine was saying, we got our democracy back. We got our democracy back. I said, how did you do that? Oh, yeah, we voted him out. We voted him out. Uh-huh. You voted the dictator out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Most people yeah. don't get the irony in that. They don't. They don't get the, But the hypocrisy right now... Um, there is a lot of hypocrisy, especially amongst the politicians. I'm not going to go down as to who was, you know, Republicans and Democrats alike are hypocritical. They're not serving the people the way they should. There is a, there are still good people that are serving, but many, many of the politicians have lost their way and they think that they control the people when they're supposed to only represent the people. So it, it, we've got to remember that it's we, the people. Um, we're the ones who dictate that. We've got to stop electing these old swamp creatures back into the D.C. because they're yeah. killing us. 
I mean, I, Madison Cawthorn is a new, uh, he's a new congressman out of, I think, North Carolina or South Carolina. I think it's North Carolina. And um, he has, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden and those guys have been in, in Congress and in Washington, D.C. longer than he's been alive. <laughs> and that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. You know what? We're going to have to do a part two of this podcast. Yeah. If you don't well, mind. We can go on we'll, and on. Yeah, yeah. If you don't mind, we'll just do a couple of a blitz round, a couple of, of simple questions. It. Okay, let's see. Uh, if you could de eat dinner with anyone, past, present, or future, who would it be? Um, right now, Dana White. I Dana love White, the UFC, the UFC guy. I love Dana White. I love the UFC. I love what he's done with the UFC, and I think he'd be a fun dinner and a lunch. Cool. Yeah, right on. Okay, number two. What's in your pockets right now? Oh, in my pockets? Because I have my vest on, I got a lot. But in my actual <laughs> jeans pockets, I've got uh, my AirPods, my wallet, and my inhaler. Every now and then I have a little asthma, but uh, that's what I've got. And then in my back pocket, I have a mask I hardly ever use. I heard Arizona is good for people with allergies because there's not much grass and hay fever. Uh, it depends. I do better in humid places because I've been here for so long. A lot of people get valley fever. Um, I usually don't have problems. During the allergy season, I, I, I will start to have some issues, but yeah. So do you have a morning routine? I need to get my morning routine back to where it used to be. I used to get up, work out, read the scriptures. Um, I've got to get better at it. The winter is taking its toll on me a little bit. Um, but I do. I get up. I try to say my prayers. I, I should dedicate more time to scriptures. And then uh, I, get to, I get off to work. Like, I'm a, I'm a get-up-and-go guy. Hmm. So uh, it's okay. all little things, like remembering what I need for the day. Cool, cool. Okay, besides the Bible, what's your favorite book? Oh, besides <laughs> scriptures? Besides yeah. scriptures, my favorite book is Without Remorse by Tom Clancy. It's ah. a big book, but I've read it a few times. It's awesome. But my favorite author, believe it or not, is Stephen Hunter. Uh, he wrote a book called Point of Impact, which was made into a movie called Shooter. Uh -huh. um, and that was with uh, Mark Wahlberg. But um, he's my favorite author, St uh, Stephen Hunter. I'm going to check that out. Two good tips. Okay, just one more. Just one more tough one. What's the one question you wish people would ask you? Oh, man. <laughs> I get asked so many questions. Probably like, uh, why are you asking me so many questions? <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I think the one question is, what can I do to, to help? um to help keep america free i think that's mm -hmm. probably the question that i would love to hear from people because that would show me that they they care and they recognize that they need to get involved and that we need to work together mm -hmm. to uh to bring it to bring it back look i don't like the results of the election i didn't vote for joe biden i think he's I honestly i think he's going to be a terrible um uh, and the people i'm more concerned about the radicals that he's putting in place but having said all of that he's the president and I would never do anything to undermine him. And, uh, I wish him and his, his administration the best. And I'm going to continue to do my job. And I hope that they will support us in law enforcement and maintaining the rule of law. And uh, I hope that together we can all come back together as a country. Um, uh, but you can't do it by bullying people and forcing people into the way you want them to think. 
we've got to do a better job of understanding the other side and, and trying to meet in the middle and, and uh, not getting so involved in politics. So now, that was a long answer. Sorry for a blitz. No, around, it's, it's, it leads to the next one because I'm struggling with it myself. Can you meet in the middle with people that are into identity politics and straight out communism? No, I mean, we're, we're getting further and further apart. But at some point, it's got to bounce and come back. Um, I hope that it doesn't get pushed to a point that, that we don't want to be at in this country. I hope that we can, uh, we really need more tolerance. The people who preach tolerance are the least tolerant. That's the funny part about it. Yeah. I, I told you, the irony and the hypocrisy in this country is out of control. There are people that are just so, they think it's their way. And instead of just allowing you to live your life, they want to force you to live the life that they want you to live. And I don't subscribe to that. And that's not the American way. It's not what the country is founded on. And uh, I'm going to fight against it. I'll, and I'm not ashamed to fight against it. So mm -hmm. I've been take, I've taken heat, but uh, I don't care. I love freedom. And I'm always going to stand up for that. Right on, right on. That, that is just an, a beautiful message. Thank you for that. And uh, I, I want to leave it right there. That's just perfect. Where can we reach you online? What was that website, Sheriff? So uh, on social media, I'm on Twitter, although I'm not using Twitter right now, uh, Sheriff Lamb One. On Facebook, you can get me at Sheriff Lamb. And then uh, Instagram is American Sheriff. And then my website is americansheriff.com. That's where you can buy my book or on Amazon. And my future subscription site, which I hope to be rolling out soon, which is going to be very uh, interactive, very, a lot of good things for the members. Um, that'll be americansheriff.com as well. Awesome. Let me know when you do that. I'll, I'll help you launch it. I, I would like to do oh, that. Oh, I'd love it. Okay. And anytime you want to have me back on, I'd love to come on. I know we got a lot on the table left to talk about. So Definitively, definitively. And we shall, I will invite you back for sure. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I think you're on the front lines. You're a real hero. You're a real example for the kids. And uh, I just want to give you a hearty salute. Uh, thank you, sir. Okay. I appreciate it. Okay, my friends, if you like that podcast, then remember to go to zbooks.co and go get all the materials to start your authoring career. We have a seven-day challenge every week, so there's no excuse to not finish your book. And remember, please go to iTunes and upvote this podcast and Google Play. Okay, I look forward to seeing you at the top.